A seal upon my heart. So glad I plunged in deep by Sister M. Peter John. Poor mother, she tried so hard to make a nice little girl of me. Probably her worst trial was the time I was literally dragged home, soaking wet, defiant, crying, and shivering, still insisting that I didn't mind a wet bathing suit under my coveralls and that I always went around like that. After all, I was a very mature nine and a half, almost ten, and I had done a wonderful thing in spite of my earache. I had managed to do some sort of dive from the high diving board with Denny. The fact that the high board was enough to alarm even great big boys pleased me immensely, but the fact that Denny broke his leg on the last part of the attempt was enough to depress even a nine and a half, almost ten year old. My earache got worse, and mother grew more concerned by the moment. And my father began getting me ready for the hospital. Denny was the one that was hurt, not me, unless you count my earache, that is. No, I really didn't mean to disobey my mother. It just happened that way. Denny said he had a new trick. So, when he got off lifeguard duty, we just naturally tried it. He was very old in, in my estimation, at least nineteen. I loved him and put up with these disturbing periods very loyally. On this particular day, I had been forbidden to go in swimming because of my bad ear. It had been lanced a week previously and was just a little sore, nothing serious, I thought. But when Denny suggested the new trick, the fish in me responded before I thought, and that was when it happened. The next moment was the beginning of my search for God and the beginning of my, de my desire to possess Him totally, the beginning of my life. Then he was explaining to me the way I should jump off his back as soon as he got a third of the way down. I was in my usual place on top of his shoulders. He began to spring slowly at first and then increased in speed and height. I never looked down during this warming up process because I was too frightened, though I would have rather died than acknowledge that fact. Instead, I looked straight out in front of me, and this day I prayed even harder than usual. Then the terrible remembrance of my mother's order, Darling, not today. No, you mayn't go in today, came upon me. Dear God, I prayed, I just remembered I'm not supposed to go in. Dear God, don't let anything happen to me. Don't let Denny make a mistake. And God, please come from behind the cloud. And God, please fix everything forever. Somehow I always thought of God as being in the clouds or behind them. As I prayed, I knew that God actually was there with Denny and me. I always loved God. But somehow I felt extra close that moment. I still remember the impression, vividly, God would always fix everything. I need never worry. It happened in a split second. I came up all right, and then I looked for Denny's blonde head to bob up too. I couldn't find him. People were gathered at the corner of the pool by the small boards. I knew something had happened, something bad. Mr. Jackson made a big fuss over me and felt all of my bones to see if they were broken. 
He said he felt responsible because he managed the pool. He kept mumbling something I didn't understand. Things about fate, I think. My ear began to pound fiercely. I didn't even get to talk with Denny before the man took him away. Right then and there I told God a few things that nice little Baptist girls who go to Sunday school and sing sweet little songs didn't ordinarily say to God. I remember sobbing bitterly and looking at that same cloud saying, Dear God, I sure don't like you any more at all. I'll never love you again unless you're a little nicer. I'm finished, dear God. It's the end, so there. I concluded with some words my father used to say on certain occasions, words which made my mother frown and utter reproaches to the effect that such things should not be said in front of little girls. I am firmly convinced that this earliest impression of God's closeness my reliance on him, and then the accident, were providential means to bring me face to face with his love and protection in years to come. The result of the swimming episode was the answer to my childish prayer. God really did become a little nicer. In fact, he brought me in contact with first Catholics I had ever known. These were the good sisters in the hospital. My father was on the staff of Mercy Hospital, and I, naturally, was sent there and became evident that my ear was not to be trifled with. In spite of my efforts to conceal the pain, my left ear was protruding far enough to make even me gasp in astonishment. As soon as I knew I was to be operated on, I suddenly lost all feeling of discomfort. A doctor's daughter often has ample opportunity to peer into surgical volumes, and I associated operations with all sorts of steel instruments, saws, and needles. My favorite volume of Daddy's was Surgical Techniques in Amputation, or some such title. This positively intrigued me. However, now that I imagined I would be the victim, I was absolutely horror-stricken. I had visions of my ear coming off in surgical correct slices, in spite of my father's explanations of all the latest techniques. Soon, however, it was over, and a new adventure was beginning for me, an adventure which continued for seven years and more. I involved myself in the intrigues of the Catholic Church. The sisters gave me a lovely little drew drop which later was lost in a grand fight with one of my friends. Had I not treasured my dewdrop so much, the loss wouldn't have been felt so keenly. Had Mickey not taken my flint marble, I would not have hit him, and had I not sat on him and pulled his hair, he would not have pulled the little chain that the precious metal was on off my neck. Poor mother, she tried so hard to make a nice little girl out of me, Daddy said I would grow it up out of my boyish tastes, but I knew Mother must have had her doubts. Daddy and I must have cost her many hours of heroic endurance, yet she patiently encouraged most of our brainstorms. Like the time Daddy very suddenly decided we would take a vacation up north in the wilderness without any planning at all. He saw an article in the National Geographic about the Canadian wilds and decided that since he had no babies to deliver at that time, he could get away. He came home from the office with a new Johnson motor for his boat. 
reservations for a guide, and a new grease job on his car. He brought me a real fly rod, and best of all, an honest-to-goodness pair of boys' ranger boots. That was when I heard Mother say with a sigh, "'Honestly, dear, how do you expect her to act like a lady?' "'If you would just help a little.' With that, I promptly resumed my table-setting chore, reflecting that as long as I was doomed to be a girl, I still had plenty of time later on to act like one. It was during this period that I forgot a, a short time the impression made upon me by the sisters and the little miraculous metal called a dewdrop. The vacation up north was the occasion of great grace, however, for it was there that I learned the Hail Mary. Dad taught me how to cast a fly and play a black bass on the end of a line how to pick a turtle off a log with a twenty-two rifle, and how to repair an outboard motor. I used to watch him often in the summer, but now I was trusted with the boat and my own special fly rod. On rainy days, and it rained most of the time, Mother would indulge in her favorite pastime, reading aloud to me. We were on As You Like It, and though... When the Shakespearean process first started, I balked. I had come to love it. Mother would explain it to me so that I could assimilate it somehow, and soon I began comparing almost everything to a stage and the seven parts. My father would listen attentively, and between exits and entrances, tell me what a wonderful mother I had. I would nod approval vehemently, though I didn't realize then just how wonderful she really was. Often he kissed her on the forehead. Sometimes they would dance to the tune of music on the radio. We were a very happy threesome, Mother, Daddy, and I. Then one evening the telephone rang. Daddy was called into the Army, and he had to report in a week to Livingston, Louisiana. It was decided that Mother would go with him to make arrangements, and in the meantime I was to stay on with the resort owners until mother called for me. It was all very exciting, and since it would mean a new place to live and a new school in the fall, I was thrilled. I was thrilled. I would be living down south. War is a terrible thing, but the vastness of it and its atrocities do not stir one as much as when it is felt immediately. My father wasn't overseas yet, and so, for a time at least, he was safe. If mother was worried, she didn't show it, of course. She never let me down anyway. The resort owner were good Catholics. Each night they said the rosary together. Each Sunday they went by boat across the lake to Mass. Soon I began going along. I learned the Hail Mary, did not eat meat on Friday, and I knew how to go to confession. This last piece of information I obtained from a prayer book which was just lying around. From then on, for a period of two or three weeks, I would confess to God all my transgressions according to the little black book I had appropriated. When Louise, the resort owner's daughter, tried to find it, I told her I just couldn't imagine what had happened to it. In confession, I would add, And I stole this book, God. These confessions had such an effect on me that I even made an effort to become more ladylike. Of course, I never succeeded completely, but I did return the black book. 
The new school in Alexandria, Louisiana, was a wonderful experience for me. Here I really began to grow up. But then my father was transferred to Texas. Because this happened in the middle of the school year, Mother deemed it wise for me to continue my schooling in Alexandria while she went with Dad. To broaden my education, as my father put it, I was to have a temporary guardian, a kosher Jewish family. They were army people, a lieutenant and his wife. I began to feel the loneliness for something which I didn't understand. That something was God. An army town is a fascinating place, especially for a 14-year-old girl. I had an allowance and a great deal of freedom. I could have been bad if I wanted to. It was simply God's providence watching over me that nothing happened and I didn't. The next school year I spent in Texas. From there we moved to California. Dad was sent overseas. It was in Pasadena Opera House that I began to, to want the church. It was a warm spring evening. Mother and I were walking hurriedly to, to be on time for La Boheme. Since I ushered, I had to be there early. Each time we went to the performance, a little of the excitement clung to me for weeks. La Boheme is a sad opera, and Mother wasn't at all impressed. She said that Mimi's dying aria sounded like the one meat ball, one of the popular songs of that time. I was very much touched by it, on the other hand, and I thought her comment very, well, just very. On the way home, the thought of death played on my mind. We used to walk home on nice evenings, and this was a nice evening. It took me fourteen blocks to remember that Hail Mary and how it ended. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I knew it had something to do with death, and I liked the concept of death. I felt much better to think that maybe Mary prayed for people like Mimi. From that moment, the Hail Mary came back to my mind. I repeated it often during the day that followed. Graduation from high school held no great interest for me, for my heart was already in college. The morning after I received my diploma, Mother and I left for Iowa State, where I was to take a pre-med course, starting with the summer quarter. There I was destined to be baptized and to find my desire to become a sister and to belong totally to Christ. Religion was often discussed among the girls on our floor of the dormitory. My roommate was a Mormon, but she didn't practice her religion. The two girls down the hall were Catholics, but... The girls in the room opposite mine were Methodists, and our house mother was an Episcopalian, and I... I simply was. I called myself a Christian, but of no denomination. My religion consisted in talking to God now and then, going to church infrequently, and roundly denouncing my Catholic friends for saying they were Catholic, since they didn't go to Mass. They should be either good Catholics or none at all, in my estimation. My impression of the Catholic Church was that it was a grotesque red scepter of formidable proportions, 
which enveloped one so completely that one could never escape. I respected it and loved the Hail Mary, but as far as investigating its doctrine was concerned, I felt that once I did, I would be compelled to believe it. Not forced to enter the church, but compelled to subject my poor weak will to the discipline of centuries, I certainly didn't want that, but it happened. There was a priest on campus who took care of the Newman Club and who was also a very good buddy to the Navy V-12 unit of campus. One day, after an inspiring lecture on the evolutionary tendencies of man, a group of us wandered over the student union for a coke. The boys were quite excited and thrilled with the idea of man's development and what was to come. I considered it very intellectual and also very empty. When I met Father Joe, some of the vets knew him and introduced me. When they brought up the subject of evolution, the priest explained the church's stand and the infusion of the human soul that I liked. It was reasonable, so I grabbed at truth. I found it refreshing, strong, and challenging. Grace always is. From then on, I read everything about Catholicism I could get my hands on. I even started by robbing the vestibule of St. Cecilia's Church of our Sunday visitor. Why pamphlets and other reading matter? These I didn't pay for because I would never be caught giving anything to the reddish-brown scepter. Still, I could not resist it. It began to lose its terror. I began to want it terribly. I was baptized after a late afternoon zoology class. I shall never forget the April afternoon. In my suit pocket was a carefully tucked, a list of my sins. I tried to memorize it thoroughly, and I thought I had succeeded. I reviewed it all the time. I was trying to find subclavin arteries in pigs. When the time came, I forgot everything. Then it was I learned that confession is not a memory job. It's a simple telling process very much as I used to talk to God about the black book I had taken. Some of my most precious memories of the road to religion were those early morning walks to St. Cecilia's for Mass and Holy Communion. I could never be grateful enough for my faith. God was neglected by so many, and I wanted to do something about it. That summer, amid fruit flies and rat cages, I managed to read the lives of many saints. The life of Father William Doyle impressed me greatly, as did the life of St. Francis. I decided that I would be a Franciscan, and that I must become one right away. If I had to finish the summer quarter, at least I could begin to live my ideal. I tried, and I failed. I all but climbed a pillar like St. Simon's Dialite. I was very foolish, but I was a Catholic. The imitation of Christ had a profound effect on my life. I read it over again and again. Soon my taste for cars and clothes and homecoming dances began to disappear. Christ alone mattered. I didn't see why there weren't more like St. Francis in the world, but then I was very immature and there were a lot of things I didn't see. June came. My bank account receded. 
I spent a very sleepless night after I received a letter from the bank telling me that I had overdrawn my account by 92 cents. Then I got a job detasseling corn at the wage of 50 cents an hour. My appearance was appalling. Red like a perch beet, hands cut from the sharp leaves of the corn. But I was happy, and I was actually earning money. It was after a hot, wet day in the fields that I betook myself to the chemistry lab to make up an experiment. There, reading over some notes, was a Franciscan nun. Maybe she could tell me how to go about becoming a nun. I had been a Catholic for only two months, but that was my ideal. It would be a glorious adventure. It still is and always will be. I learned that the sister was saying her office. She told me that I should write to the Mother General. That night I did. It was as easy as that. I might add here that there was no struggle in my case. If there was any struggle at all, it was before I became Catholic. Sometimes I fought with myself then, but now I saw that I, what I really wanted. To become holy, to glorify Christ, to be one with Him and help save souls. It was a question of gaining something infinitely higher than what I had, something I am at a loss to explain. Once one has seen God's lovableness, everything else is dross. When the clothes list came, my roommates found it. Then there were parties and gifts. My friends didn't laugh. They might have wondered, but they didn't laugh. The Mother General said I might come in September, though it was unusual to accept converts so soon after baptism. Now my parents had to be informed, and that was going to be hard. I tried to explain what I had found, but of course they didn't understand. Yes, my home was happy. I had everything satisfy me. Yes, I liked dances and socials. No, there was no disappointment in my life. If things had been otherwise, people might have seen a reason for my leaving. But I seemed so happy. Finally, Mother gave her consent, saying that I could always come home. Dad reluctantly gave it, too. Both of them were prompted by very unselfish motives. It wasn't so much the idea of losing me that they minded, for they expected that to happen some day anyway. It was the fear that I was engaged in, in something that would spell misery and unhappiness for me. They needn't have worried, and they realize that now. They love all my sisters in Christ as I love them. They are proud to have a nun for a daughter, and I am proud of them too. So, five months after my baptism, I found myself at the convent door. I had never seen a convent before except from the outside, but I fell in love with my St. Francis convent as soon as I stepped inside. It was home, God's home and mine. And that's the story. Happy? Of course. The love of God is like a flame. You can't explain its fire and you can't tell why it burns so relentlessly in such a one as yourself. It just happens, like falling in love. And why he chose me out of so many is his secret, and mine to thank him for. It's like the glorious adventure I mentioned before. Each day is filled with new challenges, new opportunities to become like Christ, like St. Francis. A day, what a wonderful creation of God!
For a day means time, and time means opportunity, opportunity that sends us soaring, leaping, bounding, higher and higher still to God. I'm so glad I plunged in deep.